0: helped last week by that message, being a friend. And I'm going to be helped again today, and hope you will be, by the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul, a wise man who was used of God to really impact the first century church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Let's just pause there for just a moment. That's why you and I don't need to be afraid of the government. Okay, That's why you and I don't need to live in fear of what might happen in the end. Because the Bible says all things You see, God is allowing sometimes these things to happen. We read in the book of Revelation these things are already going to happen, okay? So we don't need to be worried when we live in a time where we start to see things happening. It says in verse 17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for he pleased, for it pleased the Father, that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, that you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled, in the body of His flesh through death, to present you holy. "...and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which we ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my, in his, my body, for his body's sake, which is the church." Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mis- his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, perfect, in Christ Jesus. Wherefore, we're unto, sorry, I al- it says, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul described his life, and he described his calling. Paul, as we know, was an evangelist traveling around, but he was also a church planter, went about starting churches. And Paul said he preached. It says, warning and teaching in verse 28, every man in all wisdom for what goal that he could present. It says, every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I tell you, I've been helped by the teaching of Paul. Have you been helped by his teaching? I've been helped by reading the epistles. He wrote uh, the majority of the epistles in the New Testament. And God used this man who persecuted the church to be the man who built the church up. You know, God's in the business of doing that. God's in the business of turning men who are following evil things to following righteousness. And we love the church. And today I want to share with you from the Word of God why specifically I love the church and why I believe God loves the church and why we ought to love the church. Uh, He died for the church. I'll tell you, big things in my life have all happened in the church. Um, I was practically born in the church, okay? From the moment that my parents knew that I was on the way the Bible was read to me every day when I was in my mother's womb. I was taken to church, and my mom, through all the morning sickness and everything else, she never missed any church, and my mom was just faithful like that. She had six kids, and my mom was just like that. And I'm thankful for my mom and my dad laying down that foundation for me. It helped me. It helped me. uh, When I would deal with things in life later on, it helped me. The church, and I remember this church. It was Bible Baptist in Lincoln, Maine. Currently, the church has no pastor. But the pastor who was there, I don't remember much about uh, the preaching because I was a little kid, but I do remember sitting there, and I do remember opening my Bible. And at that church, that's where I heard about Through the Bible Radio with J. Vernon McGee. Have any of you guys heard of that? All right, amen. It helped me. My first Bible was a Bible... ...that was, uh, had J. Vernon McGee's notes in it. So as a young child... ...whenever I began to read... ...and the Lord knows exactly that... ...I know it was very difficult for my dyslexia... ...for my mom to even teach me to read... ...but it came, amen... ...and uh, I, when I first began to read... ...the first book I began to read... ...outside of those little reading books... ...was the Bible... ...and I learned to read the Bible... ...and use that Bible because of that local church. And I learned about J. Vernon McGee... ...we'd hear him on the radio... We'd hear all these things, and it was because of the local church, you see. And then uh, there was another local church that served our family in a very difficult time, and that pastor is now up in glory. But we would drive an hour in the snow and ice. I remember seeing my first experience seeing Moose was driving to church. Through the snow and ice on a very cold day, And the van spun out, you know, the 15-passenger van spun out on the road. And we were in a snowbank. We walked to the neighbor's house. He gave us a shovel. And we dug the thing out. And then my brother and I pushed the van out. My sister's in the back jumping up and down in the seat to try to give it traction for my dad. I mean, these are my memories of church. But I tell you, um, it was at that church, I remember the kindness of that pastor. It was a church with about maybe 10 or 12 people in it. In a little tiny town of about 500 people in Topsfield, Maine. And I remember that church. It helped me. And then God sent me and my family to Georgia through some unique circumstances. And at that church is where I learned my doctrine of the word of God as a teenager. I still have books and books of notes from that pastor. And he is still serving there today. And I have books of notes All my Bible doctrine, now looking back, was strongly found from the preaching of the Word of God in that place. I got helped there. I thought I was saved, but I went to a youth conference sponsored by that church and several other churches, and that's where I got saved. An event directly connected to the church. I love the church. I got baptized in the church. That's where I got called to preach, was in a conference sponsored by the church. That's where I got called to be a pastor, was in a conference sponsored by a church in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. All these things were connected to a church. My wife and I met on the property of a local New Testament church. West Coast Baptist College is on a church. Property. That's where we met. And that's where God continued to help me get trained for the ministry... ...was on the property of a local church. I love the church. Okay, My life has been impacted and helped by the church. And I've met each of you through the local church. And uh, we've been connected because of the church. I believe Jesus loves the church. David said in Psalms 122 verse 1... ...I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. tell you, people say, well, David just worshiped God out in the wilderness. He talks a lot about going to the tabernacle. Maybe you've heard people say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's like saying mud trucks aren't built for the off-road course. Or race cars aren't built for the racetrack. You expect to see a race car. If we see a race car in the mud pit, we know what's going to happen. It will get stuck. And if we see the mud truck running around the race course, it's not going to be going 200 miles an hour. Neither place, understand? So the Christian belongs in the house of God. I mean, these things are understood. And Christians, aren't delivered from, uh, Christians are delivered from sin by the blood of Jesus, and we're delivered from sin, so we worship him corporately, together. And uh, just like a race car has, its only proper place of usefulness is on the track because that's what it's built for. It's not built for the highway. It's built for the track. And a Christian is only properly equipped for serving God through the local church. And uh, I tell you, the word of God helps us. I love the local church. And Jesus died for the church. Why do we love the church? Uh, I heard this story. There was... uh, Two lawyers, they were standing in a trial. One thought he would make a great impression upon the jury by quoting from the Bible. So he said, concerning his opponent, he said, We have it on the highest authority that it has been said. All a man has he will give for his skin. The other lawyer knew the Bible better. And he said, I'm very much impressed by the fact that my distinguished colleague has regards to the highest authority. And the one who said, all that a man has will he give for his sin... You will find that saying comes from the book of Job, chapter 2, verse 4. And the man who said it was the devil. Often we can quote a scripture verse, and that man did in the courtroom, but he forgot that the one who was speaking was the devil. The highest authority was the devil in his case. Uh, Often folks will take the Bible to justify their own selfish behavior. We must not be ones who do that. Uh, It says in this passage, who is in the image of... ...of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I thank God for the local church. And there's something about the local church that we must all consider and understand. The local church, Jesus has full control over it. Look in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning... The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Friend, we've all had negative, if we've been around church more than two or three years, you're going to have a negative experience or two, because people are human, okay? Um, That doesn't mean that God fell off his rocker. It doesn't mean that up in heaven he's sitting there wringing his finger saying, I wonder what I'm going to do. If you recall, there was a very perfect garden one day. And two people who were created in the perfect image of God. And I seem to remember that God gave them just one instruction. They failed at that. And then the two brothers who had very little time together seemed to have uh, had great problems together, right? Uh, One even murdered his brother. So look, uh, from the very dawn of time, trouble has existed. But we must remember that Jesus is in full control. You know what? If somebody does something wrong, God's going to straighten him out. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And oftentimes as Christians we can forget that. I tell you, we're all going to appear before God one day and give account. So we must live understanding he is in control. He is in control of everything. And uh, getting even on this earth doesn't fix anything. It just brings ourselves down to the level of the one who makes the offense. It doesn't get much better than the fact that Jesus is in control. When Christ is in control, there's no reason to fear. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's our church. It's our church. And my friend, one day, if I recall correctly, the Bible says I got 70 years, okay? I'm half the way there. That's all God has promised, 70 years, right? If we live beyond that, it's a gift from God. Every day beyond that is a gift from God, and many do live beyond that nowadays. So I'm half of the way there. I understand every day then is a gift from God... And we must understand that it's not our, specifically when we say we're not in control, it's God's church, and we must submit to him, ultimately. We must never forget that God has given us a building. God has given us a place to worship him in. And we must use it for that purpose, or he will bring somebody else in to fulfill his plan. So we must trust in the plan of God that God has a purpose for His church. You remember the Israelites? God sent them into this land and there were wicked inhabitants in the land who were not worshiping the true God, Jehovah. They were not worshiping His Son. They were not putting their faith in the blood. They were worshiping false gods. They were involved in adultery. They were involved in much wickedness. They were involved in idol worship and all these things. And God sent His people in to wipe them out. You say, was He cruel? No, God was just. And then He gave His people... The land that they had not, he said, I'm going to give you houses to dwell in that you haven't built. I'm going to give you all these things. God gave them things. And whenever God gives us something, we must give him thanks because he is in full control. He is in full control of the church. Aren't you thankful he's in control today? I'm thankful he's in control. He is, it says, the head of the body, the church. Uh, Last time I checked, we couldn't live very well without our head. So we ought to constantly ask, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I tell you, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to do? And he's in control. The Bible says uh, in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wife's, be to their own husbands in everything. Uh, And men, we shouldn't have to say anything about that. The grace of God will lead in that way. So the husband ought to follow Christ, and the church ought to follow Christ, and the wives ought to be in unity with their husbands. Earlier in the passage, it says we ought to submit to one another as well in context. I believe God's big enough to send leaders for his church. Do you believe God's big enough to do that? I mean, he is the great I am, and he's big enough to send leaders. Because Jesus is in control of the church, if we follow his plan, we will see leaders raised up from the church. Church only works when it's built on strong biblical leadership. If leaders are not spirit-filled and full of the word, the church isn't going to go anywhere. And so look, at we need more of Christ and less of ourselves. Less of ourselves. And if we do that, everything will be All right. The Bible lays out ways to dismiss the unrepentant, Matthew 18, in verse 17. Look at what the Bible says, speaking of the church, Matthew 18, 17. He's in, once again, keep in mind Jesus is in control of the church, but he gives some orders, some instructions. He says in Matthew 18, verse 17, how we are to behave. When there is somebody who, shall we say, does not, And they trespass against the will of God, against the word of God, and they neglect to hear godly counsel. It says in verse 17, If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. How do we treat the heathen? With hatred? No, with love. We treat them with love. But when somebody is the heathen, okay, when we understand that somebody has an unrepentant repentant heart, they've rejected Christ, they've rejected the will of God, they've rejected the word of God in, a various, in various areas, and they've refused to submit to the word of God, how do we treat them? In the same way as we would treat a heathen and a publican. We pray for God to convert them, but we do not confide in them as if they were a fellow Christian because they have demonstrated a different spirit. Okay, So he says in the church, the church is to be notified of this, and he said the church is to regard them as a heathen or as a publican, to regard them as somebody who is not converted because they do not demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, speaking of the church, it says, "...unto him be glory in the church." By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Unto who? Unto him be glory. The problem is sometimes we as people try to take glory. We try to get a little bit of glory here and there. God says he doesn't give his glory away. The glory belongs to the Lord. If there's anything good that we do, God gets the glory. We must always recognize he has full control. He gets the glory. There's something else I like about the local church. And speaking of this text in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 20 there's something else that i see in the text that has helped me deliverance happens here in the local church deliverance happens in the local church look at what it says in verse 20 and having made peace through his blood of the blood of his cross by him to there's a big word reconcile all things unto himself by him i say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. The Bible speaks of this reconciliation, this deliverance that happens. When we put our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, he delivers us. You say, does that mean a Christian doesn't struggle? Of course you struggle. A Christian is going to struggle loving people. A Christian is because we're human. A Christian is going to struggle uh, sometimes in being gracious because we are human. A Christian uh, is going to struggle and sometimes say something maybe that they shouldn't have said because they are they have a human sin nature. But the grace of God will convict, and we will apologize and move forward by the grace of God. Deliverance happens were turned from darkness to light by the declaration of the word of God. So he says they heard of the word of God, and by the word of God they were before they were enemies in their own mind, but now they're delivered and set free. Aren't you thankful? Do you remember the day when you were an enemy of God, and now God has delivered you? And if he hasn't done that yet, and there's still some contention between you and God, that's the first place to deal with it, contention between us and God, and get that leveled out. Deliverance happens here in the house of God. It is through the house of God that I've heard preaching that has delivered me many times, coming down. The reason why we have an altar call at the end of the service is is not just so you can say, well, you know, what is that all about? People have asked me, said, Pastor, what is this all about, coming forward and praying? It is very simply that we move our body physically, just like in the Bible when the Levites and the priests would go in and worship God. They would physically draw closer ...to a place of worship. And in the temple... ...and in the tabernacle in the wilderness... ...by the way... ...whenever the people of God have been gathered... ...there's always a place of worship. In the the wilderness they had a tent to meet in... ...that looked like a church. And it had an outer court... ...it had an inner court... ...and then it had the most holy place... ...and the priest once a year would draw... ...into that most holy place... ...which was in the front of the building... And so that is the reason for which why we encourage people to come to the forward the forward in the in the in the building. That is the only reason for it is that it encourages us to physically move our bodies. You say is God physically here or physically there? My friend, God is omnipresent. But by physically moving our bodies in the same way after the pattern we see in the scripture, they would draw closer in worship. Those who And the Bible says those belie- that believers are priests before God, so we have a responsibility to draw closer to him. And so for that reason, we do have an altar call, because the altar in the tabernacle was forward. Now, we don't offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus has now died. He is our sacrifice. So we do not have an altar physically sitting up here, but we have an altar call, which is a call to come to Christ and come to the altar and once again say, Lord, I want deliverance. Lord, I want to be set free. Amen. Acts 2, verse 42, says praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. From that text it would be hard to draw anything but that there was a gathered group of people that was increasing in number and if you read in that passage there were over 3,000 people in that church at that time. Now, they were quickly dispersed and went preaching the word everywhere. Hebrews 10 in verse 25 tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, deliverance happens in the house of God. He says don't forsake the assembling like some other people do. It's their manner. It's their custom. He said don't be like that. Instead, what? Draw near more and more as we see the day approaching. The Bible tells us in Acts 26. And let's turn to Acts 26. And look in verse 16. Acts 26 in verse 16. Acts 26 in verse 16. Let's look at what the Bible says here. The Lord appeared to Paul, and now Paul is recounting before Agrippa how God has appeared to him. And the Lord said these words when the Lord appeared to Paul. He said, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now Paul heard those words from God and he's telling Agrippa, he says, by the way, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. In verse 19 he says, he says, I obeyed what God said. God appeared to him and God said, hey, by the way, you've been going on the wrong team. It's time to switch teams. Paul was destroying the church and God delivered him. He was in one place where he was pulling people, literally the Bible says, out of the church, which means he was physically coming to the gathering place and remove people and arrest them and take them and haul them off to prison and to death. And so that's what Paul was about. And God turns his whole life around and now Paul comes into the same place where he started where he was destroying, and he comes in, and he goes, and he preaches Jesus Christ. And they say, wasn't this the same guy that was just destroying this place? Yes, it was, but don't worry about him. God's delivered him. Deliverance happens here. God delivers souls. And I thank God. Aren't you thankful for his deliverance? My friend, maybe maybe you haven't been delivered yet. God wants to deliver you. Whatever chain is holding you back, God wants to deliver you. Sometimes as Christians, we can be held by a chain. We may have put our faith in Christ, but there's something that's holding us back. It could be related to something we've heard in the Bible that was not true. It could be related to something we believe about the Bible that is not true. I tell you, it amazes me how sometimes uh, an individual may take their enticement their entire life trying to prove from the Bible how a particular sin is right in the sight of God. I'm like... The Bible clearly forbids that sin, all right? But it's amazing how sometimes uh, someone will take the entire Bible, and uh, and even if, if, by the way, we all have opinions about the Word of God, and that's okay. And, and sometimes I have learned that my opinion is not going to be the same as someone else's, and so the best thing to say is, okay, that's fine, no problem, that's your opinion. But it's very unique to me sometimes you might say that to somebody. Sure, that's fine, you're welcome to have your own opinion. And instead they'll say... No, it's not my opinion. They'll say, it's right. And then they can't find one verse to prove it. And uh, it's very easy to prove in our own minds that we are right without having any Bible to actually back up that we are right. So we want to make sure the Word of God is our foundation and that we are delivered. Delivered and set free. God's in the business of delivering people and setting people free. If the chains of past regret still hold you, come to the cross and ask the Lord to set you free tell you, friends, there's many services as a teenager where I had to come forward again and again and again and say, Lord, you know what? I'm still struggling with this particular thing. Would you set me free? Would you set me free? Would you set me free? Sometimes we're tied to a regret. We're tied to a feeling that we need to ask the Lord to set us free from. I found that freedom involves forgiving and letting go. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, and one night a hostile group of natives surrounded the mission station intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. But Patton and his wife prayed during that night, in that terror-filled night, that God would deliver them, and when daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. One year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ, and remembering what happened, Patton asked the chief, he said... What stopped you from burning our mission down? The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men who were with you? Patton knew that no men were present. But the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments, with drawn swords, circling the mission station. There's many times in my life, even recently, where I had to say, Lord, would you put your army up? Because... It's, I can't defend myself. God alone can defend. And uh, I believe that God has a way of defending. And I believe that God has a way of delivering. And uh, when God delivers, my friend, sometimes you just you try everything possible and nothing works. But when God delivers, you know it was him. And in our text, in Colossians, the Bible tells us clearly these believers were delivered. They were delivered from their mindset. It says they were enemies in their mind. Do thoughts in your mind trouble you every day? Are you still struggling with the same thoughts, the same thought processes you were struggling with 10 years ago that are hindering relationships? Why not come to the cross? Lord, please set me free from this bondage. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You might say, Pastor, you don't understand my situation. And you know what? I probably don't understand your situation, but I know Jesus does. And I also know that he seemed to have set many people free in the Bible. I read about a maniac who was completely out of control, cutting himself with knives, running around. Chains couldn't even hold the man. He was demon-possessed. Jesus sets him free. He's clothed in his right mind and goes on and witnesses the next day and preaches the gospel. And he had no therapy classes, brother. He got set free by the grace of God. Deliverance happens by surrendering to the very Word of God. To surrender to the Word of God, it does mean sometimes our feelings still hurt, okay? We have to say, Lord, help me. Lord, heal my heart. Lord, heal my brokenness. Lord, Um, but we can't dwell on it. We must move forward. Thirdly, this morning, I see in our text another thing that happens, and that is that brotherly love happens here. The Bible speaks of this brotherly love. I love the church, and the church is a place where brotherly love happens and God has a way of shouting and showing his brotherly love. I'd like us to turn to another text as we see that the love of Christ is demonstrated through his sacrifice on the cross and his demonstration of love for the church. His love is also demonstrated by Those who labor for him, like Paul, in in verse 29, where it says, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So Paul was laboring not in his own strength, but God's strength. And that takes divine love to continue to love. Brotherly love happens here in the church. Would, Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13? I'd like us to see a text that speaks to this end. Hebrews chapter 13. And if you would look in verse 1, Hebrews 13 and verse 1. Let's look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 13 and verse 1. Would you guys all together, would you read verse 1 with me? Ready, begin. Let brotherly love continue. Let's read it again a little bit louder. Let brotherly love continue. Man, man. Wouldn't that be great if everybody lived by that rule? Wouldn't you like it if everybody treated you that way? I think we all would, right? Verse 2 says, And be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and remember them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. So if somebody's dealing with trouble... The Bible says we are the body of Christ, and so that means everybody else is also suffering. Verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all things, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So our contentment must be found in Christ, not in possessions. Verse 6, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken the word of God unto you, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with, look what he says, diverse and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established with, what does he next say? What does the next word say? With what? Grace. Grace. And not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Paul says, don't be bound up by a bunch of things that control you, that you've made up, he says. Okay, diverse and strange doctrines. But he says to let brotherly love continue. What is brotherly love? It only can come from Christ, agape love. But he says, let this brotherly love, he says, continue. How does it continue? Verse 2, it continues by hospitality to strangers you know that you and I might have hosted an angel unawares? There have been a few times since I've been pastoring here where I have contacted that person at the address they gave me, and they do not exist, and they were a very gracious, kind person. I do wonder sometimes if we might have entertained an angel unawares. That is a possibility. Hospitality to strangers. He says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. I love the way our church is treating visitors, and I pray that each of you who are visitors will continue to pass that along to the next person, okay? What, is, what do we need to do in the house of faith? Uh, if we see somebody new, we don't go to our friend, oh, who is that? Instead, we walk up to them and say, hey, friend, and we do not give them 50 questions. Instead, we just say, thank you so much for coming. And we seek to get to know them in a kind way. But don't ask 50 questions. Nobody wants to be interrogated on their first visit to church. They usually won't come back. Nobody needs interrogation. Nobody wants folks to be nosy about their life. People want to be loved. We all want that, don't you? We all want to be loved. And so we we need to have hospitality to strangers. And sometimes uh, that is just a kind smile. Sometimes that is just a kind word. Hospitality to strangers. He says to be not forgetful, to entertain them. Maybe you've had the privilege like I have. You've maybe entered into a house of worship and you felt like you met with some cold stones instead of living people. That should never be the case in the house of God. We ought to have, he says, living, lively stones, okay? And uh, a stone is not usually lively. But the Bible's speaking of the energy, the grace of God flowing through us. We see in verse 3... Brotherly love happens by remembering those imprisoned in the faith. Right now in America, there are a limited number of people who are suffering for their faith. But in other parts of the world, there are imprisoned brethren. Fourthly, in verse 4, we honor brotherly love and we demonstrate brotherly love by honoring marriage. By honoring marriage. By... Verse 5, avoiding covetousness and instead enjoying the presence of God. I tell you, in the presence of God, you know, we sing that song, I've got a mansion up over the hilltop. Do you really think each one of us is going to get an entire mansion to ourselves? I mean, what would we do in an entire mansion by ourselves? I thought we were going to go worship God and day and night, be there praising and glorifying Him. I don't know about you, but if I'm in heaven, I don't want to just be hanging out in my own house by myself because the Bible says you're not given in marriage in heaven. I seem to think that in heaven, the mansions won't be the way we see them on earth, but will be far more beautiful, but that there's no day nor there's no night in heaven. Okay. Jesus is the light. There's no reason to go to your house to sleep. You say, but what will there be? It will be a beautiful place. Have you ever gone and toured somebody's mansion and they gave you a guest room to stay in that was about as big as your house? Okay. I mean, okay. It's going to be a beautiful place. It's going to be majestic. But I think it's a little selfish to think maybe I'm going to have my own private house and nobody's going to bother me. Because you know what? We're going to be with the multitudes worshiping the king of kings. If you know the Lord that and you see his word, that's you know Christ, my friend. And that's why when somebody says a Christian, they say, I, I'm a Christian, but I... I don't need to go to church to worship God. It's, that's a true and false statement. Because if we don't go fellowship with his people, I really do wonder how we're going to get along in heaven. If we can't get along on this earth. So, avoiding covetousness and enjoying the presence of God. Verse 6, it says, By finding confidence in his word, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. You ever had a friend fail you? That's human. That's human. That's natural. People fail. We all fail. There's times where I have let people down. I did not seek to, but that happens. It's part of being human. Um, but the Lord is your helper who will never fail. You can always call upon his name. Haven't you found that in your life? Maybe you ran from God for a little while in your life, and you come back to him and say, Lord, I was wrong. You're right. And He doesn't he accept you back? He receives you. You say, why? Because he's a loving and gracious God who is our present help in time of need. So we find his presence, naturally, in his house. Verse 7, by showing respect to the faith of the spiritual leaders. It says in verse 7, "...to remember them which have the rule over you, and who have spoken the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation." In these five years together that we've had serving this town... I'm learning more and more how much I appreciate the men who spoke into my life earlier in my life. And I'm sure I will appreciate them more 10 years from now. Especially since as I have lived in this community for these last five years, and several other local Baptist churches have gone through one or two pastors in the last five years since I've been here. And, and men who were good men, men who were helpful men, and, and those churches have maybe grown to a large number and then closed, since I've been here. And in five years I've seen that happen. multiple men leave and come, come and go. and, and I've seen that uh, the ways in which things were handled. and as a fellow laborer in the community, I have more compassion for them, right? And I have more compassion for the churches and for the situation. And uh, I'm seeking to grow in my understanding. But the one thing that I do know for sure is that verse 13 in verse one, I mean, chapter 13 in verse one says, Let brotherly love continue. If we've got to go from one house of worship to the other for whatever reason, it ought to only be done with letting brotherly love continue. It ought to be done in a brotherly, loving way. Because the Bible says in verse 7, You ought to remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. It says, you say, does that mean we just follow anybody blindly? No. It says whose faith follow. There are many men who are different than me, who have much faith in God, who are pastoring. Understand? And so their faith is what the congregation should follow. It's the faith that you follow. You've, are they trusting God? Are they believing God? Are they, the pastors, the elders, the leaders of that church, the deacons, are they following faith? Then you follow them, if they're following faith. So, we must to keep in mind, the word following their faith here, it says to... To show uh, It means to be mindful of, to remember, to call to mind, to think of and feel for a person, or to hold in memory. I challenge you, dig up in your heart good memories about men of God in your past. Do it as an exercise. And the ones who offended or hurt, would you just say, Lord, forgive them. Maybe I didn't understand. Or, Lord, forgive them. I've had to do that. Lord, forgive them. They maybe didn't understand. Whatever. We're just going to move on. There were many who were good. There were many who were good. And so remember them and have love towards them whose faith follow. Brotherly love in the church house must be universal and it must be demonstrated in all relationships. Verse 8, it says Jesus never changes. He's constant. He's constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you thankful for that? And people change, Jesus never changes. Verse 9, it says we ought to avoid... Strange doctrines. It says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. I often hear of new doctrines. And uh, I heard of so many new doctrines this week that I was like, I, I'm not even sure where that even came from. That's not in the word of God. That's, that's not even found in the pages of scripture. And so we must find our doctrine in the word of God, not in, our, not in reading our own opinion into the word of God. So to avoid strange doctrines. By the way, we are each going to have different tendencies towards different doctrinal persuasions based upon our past, based upon the teachers that we hear during the week. There's a multiplicity of YouTube channels and such, and people listen to all these things, and their their opinions are, are swayed. Okay, But the Bible says to avoid strange doctrines. So that means we don't get carried about off on a tangent, off on a rabbit trail. Acts 5 and verse 11 says, And great fear came upon all the church, and as many as heard these things. See, the church was moved forward. They didn't let strange doctrine contaminate them. Brotherly love happens in the house of faith. Aren't you thankful that somebody loved you? I hope you're thankful somebody was friendly to you. Each of you, I'm sure, the reason that you attend, somebody is friendly to you, somebody's kind to you, or you're kind to somebody else. Uh, that's just the way in which we stay in the house of faith is because we demonstrate brotherly love. If we don't demonstrate brotherly love, we're going to have trouble. And so brotherly love, he says, must continue. It must continue. Lord, would you help me to have brotherly love? You say, they're so hard to love. Look, there's always difficult people in the world. You ever have somebody get up in your grill? Okay, I mean, sometimes that just happens in life. But then God sends somebody really gracious, you know? And, uh, you know, last night I took my wife to dinner, and we were, we were up at Big Apple Diner. you guys ever been up there? Big Apple Diner. And uh, actually, she said she was going to take me to dinner. But, you know, either way, we were going to go. We were going to go watch the fireworks. And there's a gentleman who... I've done some business with in the community, a very kind gentleman. And he was sitting there with his wife, and he just greeted us, took a moment. A few moments later, I saw him go up and pay for our bill. And then he walked out the door. I had to ask the waitress. I said, could you, could you remind me what's his, what's his last name? And uh, found his address, and we're sending him a note. So thoughtful and so kind. See, he didn't know what I had gone through this week. He didn't, know, he didn't know that people were up in my grill all week. And when he did that kindness, man, it was so encouraging. And uh, my wife and I looked at each other afterwards when the waitress came up. And, of course, we gave the waitress a generous tip on top of that. I, I just think you ought to be kind to people, right? And the waitress was working very hard that night. But... The kindness of that gentleman, it helped me last night. And when somebody doesn't even maybe know Christ, and they can still demonstrate kindness, my friend, I tell you there's many times God has used a lost person to demonstrate kindness. And uh, God will use a Christian, God will use a lost person, but we ought to, as Christians, demonstrate kindness to one another in the same way that Christ has demonstrated it to us. I'm thankful for those who've demonstrated kindness to to each of us. And let's be ones who demonstrate the brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Because Jesus loves the church and he gave himself for it. If we love him, we must love the church. We must love the church. And why do we love the church? Because he's in control. He provides the deliverance. And he fills it with his love. My friend, there's not a better place to be than in the presence of God, with the people of God. And all it takes to brighten one room is one person who's happy and full of the Spirit of God. And if we would each strive to be that way, Lord, help me to be spirit-filled today. Help me to exude kindness when I am hurt, when I'm offended, to not retaliate. Lord, help that we might demonstrate a spirit of grace I tell you, if we do that, God will be glorified in our midst. Don't you believe God? I tell you, He is a great God. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful Jesus is the head of the church. He's in control, and he can give each of us the love that we need. Let's stand together for a moment of invitation. As we stand, I just want to ask you a few questions with our heads bowed and eyes closed. First, are you committed to the local church? Would you just, in your heart before the Lord, answer that question? Are you committed... ...to the local church. Secondly, how is your relationship with the brethren? We must remember love is a choice... ...even as in marriage, love is a choice, not an option. Love is a choice, not an option. How is your relationship with the brethren? And thirdly, is there any area that you need to find deliverance? Would you come today and ask God... ...Lord, set me free. Lord, deliver me. He is a delivering God. And today, if you have a burden on your heart... ...He wants to set you free... He wants to deliver you. Remember at Jesus at the cross, all the sin he bore upon him. And today he wants to take your burden. Today he wants to bear your burden because he loves you. And this morning, if you need his grace, would you come to him? Would you come forward in a moment in the invitation? And Would you ask him, Lord, would you take that burden? I can't bear it anymore. Let's quit trying to bear our own burdens. Let's give those burdens to Jesus. lay them at the cross and say, Lord, Lord, I picked up a burden that I can't bear. I give it to you. Would you just give it to him today? Lord, I give you that burden. I found in my own life, friend, that I've often had to give that burden to the Lord multiple times because I kept picking it back up. Would you give it to him? Lord, take that burden from me. Lord, I give it to you. Whatever it is, God knows that we might be free to serve and love one another. It's hard to serve and love one another when we are still carrying around burdens that we need to give to Jesus. And so we want to ask him for help that we might be a help to one another Father, I pray that you would guide us right now in these moments of, in this moment of invitation. And Lord, that your hand would be upon us, that we might follow you. And Father, I pray for all those who have listened in by way of live stream today. You would encourage and bless their hearts. You would strengthen them. That we might be together built up in the most holy faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you take a moment as the piano begins to play and would you respond to the Lord? Would you ask the Lord to help you? Maybe you come forward and pray you pray there in your seat. Would you come and ask the Lord? Lord, would you deliver me? Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you set me free? Lord, would you help me to be committed to the local church? Is there an area that you need deliverance? Lord, help me. I need you. Every hour I need thee. The altar is open. You want to respond and pray. You're welcome to do that. There's room for you.